0: Hello, my name is Tom Boone.
1: And I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week.
1: Coming up today, Tom will see where Etihad is flying its biggest bird soon, while I look at the latest from engine maker Rolls-Royce.
0: I'll tell you about a hair-raising near Miss for American Airlines while Joe looks at a translation blunder that had the internet in stitches.
1: Finally, Tom will give us the lowdown on what it's like to fly with Fly Dubai.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I think before we start, really, I did just want to say thank you to all of our listeners because we got our Spotify wrapped yesterday and the numbers on it were quite impressive. And uh, a little shout out to the 888 of you who we are the top podcast of. Um, (laughs) But speaking of um, being an amazing podcast, I think it's time for... Tom's A380 Podcast. That's right. I'm going to dive straight in with the A380 news. And this week's A380 news is about Etihad, who uh, over the summer brought their Airbus A380 back to service. Quite by surprise, I would say, you know, like Tony Douglas, before he was saying the brand is Riyadh, the brand is Riyadh, the brand is Riyadh, was always saying never say never. And that was about the A380 coming back. He never wanted to say... They wouldn't bring the A380 back, but at the same time, he never confirmed they were looking at it. But then, finally, earlier this summer, um, Etihad said they'd bring the or they did bring the A380 back to service. I was on the second inaugural flight of that um, <laughs> the the Heathrow to Etihad uh, to Emirates uh, UAE after it had flown UAE to to Heathrow. Mm. But um, now they've they're, they're broadening their horizons because Etihad has um, decided. That from April 22nd, 2024, it's going to begin flying the Super Jumbo to, or as Joe likes to say, the flying forehead to (laughs) uh, JFK, uh, New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. So uh, this was announced on Wednesday, and the upgraded uh, service is going to see the carrier switch out the current 787 Dreamliners, uh, that's the Dash 9, uh, for the A380 on one of its two daily services to New York. So this is going to add almost 1,500 weekly seats on the route um it's not insignificant Mm. this means that um obviously new york's going to be the second a380 service re-added to etihad's um, network and that's following Heathrow. but you know are we going to see more a380 routes before the pandemic etihad was flying to sydney's uh kingford smith airport melbourne airport paris charles de gaulle And um, Mumbai, Uh, I'm not going to say the name of that airport because I will get it horrifically wrong. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the the big difference is that when it was flying to these uh, airports, it had a lot more A380s in service. I think right now it's only got three and there's a fourth one coming back. so, you know, it would, I don't see the whole fleet coming back and the whole glory days of old rejoining mm. the Etihad uh, A380 network, but, you know, I will take what I can get. Um, <laughs> Definitely. It's um, chatting about it, you know, um, the new CEO, or new, I keep calling him new, he's been in the role for quite a while now. Um, Mm. But that's a chap called Antonaldo Neves. And he mentioned, putting the A380 on the popular New York route makes sense as we satisfy customer demand for more capacity, further growing our expanding network. The fact that our new route to Boston, Etihad's fourth US gateway, will open on 31st of March, three weeks before our A380 starts flying to New York, underlines our ambitious growth plans. Um, talking of ambitious growth plans, it's it's you know, it's nice to see Etihad where it is now because I think, you know, when Tony Douglas came in, it was in not the best position financially, mm. but it really seems to have managed to pull itself. Out, um, you know, they've the A380s back, they're flying from the new midfield mm. terminal. Um, so, kudos to Etihad.
1: Well, last year was their first profitable year for a long time, wasn't it? I think. Yeah,
0: maybe even ever, I think, but I'm not sure.
1: It was certainly for many years. I think, you know, a lot of that is down to Tony Douglas's management and, you know, just Mm. kind of streamlining the whole operation. I think it was a very wasteful operation back in the day, but he did a very good job of setting it up for success. And hopefully we'll see uh, Mm. Antonio, is it, Nevers, um, pushing it forward.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just on Tony Douglas, you know, we we make fun of the the catchphrases, but I think he's going to do a really good job with whatever does come out of Riyadh
1: Oh, they're building a really strong team over there. I'm excited Mm. about the start of that airline. But uh, more about Riyadh Air another day, because I want to talk a little bit about Rolls-Royce, who obviously makes some of the engines used by uh, Tom's favourite A380 and uh, lots of other aircraft. (laughs) Have to do a bit of a link there. Um, So Rolls-Royce had a big capital markets day this week, which kind of set out its um, its strategic direction for the future, let's say. So, the company's been in some financial trouble for a little while. Um, they've got a new CEO in place, Tufan Ergenbilik if I pronounce that right. And he has been doing a strategic review for about six months now, um, the, re- the results of which were revealed this week. One of the most interesting parts of that research and what they were talking about this week is the potential to return to the narrow body market. Uh, so I'll read you what he said during the presentation. He said, we believe we are well positioned to re-enter the narrow body market by choosing a partnership approach for the next programme. Our Ultrafan technology is a vital step towards this at the right time. With the right partner, we will decide the next steps. So it's not the first time Rolls-Royce has indicated that it wants to get back into the narrow body market. In fact, back at the Paris Air Show in the summer this year, um, the CEO told reporters that they wanted to and that they were almost ready to do so. Um, during that interview, they expanded on the role of the ultrafan, and the CEO told Reuters that actually. That engine has been designed in such a way that it can be scaled down all the way to narrowbody size. So everything they're doing on that great big engine right now is applicable to lots of sizes of jets. And that's kind of really interesting in the design theory behind it. Um, But he did warn that any new aircraft projects are likely a decade away. So I don't think they're going to be kind of soon offering an alternative to the Pratt & Whitney for the A320neo, for example. I think it will be a new narrowbody aircraft that comes with a Rolls-Royce option. Um, however, you know, Rolls-Royce hasn't been involved in narrow-body engines for, uh, I think it's about 12 years now. Um, last time it produced narrow-body engines was when it was part of the International Aero Engines Joint Venture, which was with Pratt & Whitney and some other partners. And back then, they produced the V2500, which was a very successful engine used across the A320CO family. But when Airbus re-engined the family for the A320neo series, Rolls-Royce was cut out of the loop. And kind Kind of on its own merit as well, because according to Air Insight, Rolls was actually offered the geared turbofan by Pratt and Whitney, which is obviously the technology used in the PW one thousand G for the IA joint venture. If he, if they'd accepted that, it would have kept the company with a foothold in the narrowbody segment. But at the time, Rolls Royce was pushing a three spool design that it thought was going to be the next narrowbody engine, and in fact, it even ended up taking Pratt and Whitney to court for patent infringement relating to the fan blade design of the gtf and that case was actually decided in pratt and whitney's favor in the end so rolls-royce hasn't been in the narrow body market it has been making of course engines for business jets very successfully Gulfstream Stream G650, Bombardier Glo- Global Express, even the Boeing 717 all use Rolls Royce technology. Um, and in fact, just recently, the Pearl 700, which is for the new Gulfstream 700, got its FAA type certification. So smaller engines aren't out of their wheelhouse whatsoever. Um, however, they've got lots of work to do before they start looking at kind of diversifying anything like that. Um, so, you know. Ergen Billick has got to turn around this financially struggling firm and he has promised to deliver £2.8 billion, which is $3.5 billion, of operating profit in the medium term, which is up from a guidance figure of around $1.8 billion for this year. So, the turnaround begins in earnest kind of now, um, but the company's already announced uh, job cuts of more than 2,000 workers from its global workforce. So, it's obviously a balance between kind of cutting down the expenses and also boosting the profitability. Another thing that was really interesting was that it's phasing out Rolls-Royce Electrical. So, it's looking to divest anything that it doesn't see as being a core business interest for the future. They've been doing a lot on Rolls-Royce Electrical, actually. Um, I don't know if you remember, they made a small electric plane in 2022 that actually broke the world speed record. Um, Now, Rolls-Royce says that the electrical division will either be scaled back or exited completely in order to... To send more money to high priority streams such as the ultrafan. So, I don't think we'll be seeing the company returning to narrow bodies anytime soon, uh, but the focus for now is definitely still on the wide body engines. Um, in fact, the CEO reckons that their potential in the wide body market will grow faster than the actual market in the current years. Um, of course, it Provides engines for lots of wide body aircraft like Airbus A350, Boeing 787, A330neo, Boeing 777, the list goes on. Um, But I think, you know, it's a great opportunity for roles and going back into the narrow body market, particularly when there's such a lot of contention going on with the options available, could be a really good move for it in the future.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, speaking of the options available, I always find it hilarious when they're saying how they've secured orders from, you know, like Air India and, um, Emirates on the the A350, but you know it, that's not really a big win to me because you can't buy a 350 without them. But um, <laughs> that's a discussion for yeah. another well, day. Were you
1: going to fly it on pigs? <laughs> yeah.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about a, a slightly hair raising incident that when that happened in um, New York, and it actually went unreported for quite a while. Um, I think it happened around the t- the tenth uh, or the 9th or tenth of November, but it's only just come to light. That is that an American Airlines uh, aircraft. I think it was a three twenty one that was going into New York. Had to adjust its um, its approach slightly because it was landing adjacent to another aircraft. But that aircraft ended up going on the wrong uh, intercepting the wrong localizer. So um, American uh, two, Flight Two Eight was uh, it took off on the ninth of November, landed on the tenth of November. Um, but it was cleared for the ILS on two two left. And there was also a Pilatus pilot that was um, that was a trade winds flight, and that was cleared on the two two right localizer. Um, of course, it went on the the. the, the the flights kind of ended up going approaching the same runway. And the American Airlines pilot, at some point, was heard telling the tower, where is the Pilatus going? The tower responded that the smaller flight was landing on the parallel runway. So then American Airlines responded, he's right above us. Um, if you're wondering how, how kind of hair-raising it got, it got pretty hair-raising. Because um, at some point after they'd landed, the American Airlines pilot said, it Got way too tight. If we hadn't bailed out, we would have collided. Um, the what what he means by bailed out is that the American Airlines um, aircraft was approaching JFK, it did actually start to like do, do a missed approach. Um, but then the controllers managed to get the Pilatus out of the way so the American Airlines could rejoin the approach and land uh, without much incident. And we do have a video um, from, uh, I I forget who creates it, but it it explains it really well on our website. So if you've got like five minutes, I would go and watch that. Um, We also got a comment from Eric Zipkin, who's the president of Tradewind Aviation, who operates at Smaller Pilatus. And he said, the safety of our passengers and team members is our highest priority. Our investigations of the events surrounding the Tradewinds flight into JFK on 11th of Uh, On the 10th of November, that's me reading the dates wrong in America, um, has determined that the Tradewind Pilatus had proper separation per FAA standards with American Airlines aircraft AA-28 at all times during this event, and ATC handled the situation as expected. We're taking all appropriate steps to review this event with our FAA-approved safety management system and will continue to adhere to the highest safety standards. Um, So that was kind of like a little interesting one from um, this week. And definitely, you know, like I said, watch the video on it if you can, because I think that I I can't do it as much justice as you. I can't like do the intonation that you heard from the American Airlines pilots.
1: (laughs) He was not a happy bunny, was he? (laughs)
0: No, he was asking for the phone. Usually, if if you're on the ground, um, when you um, land and the ATC says, oh, I have a phone number for you, that's a bad thing, uh, because you've <laughs> screwed up. But when the pilot is asking for the phone number from the ATC, then you know they're not happy.
1: <laughs> it seems to be a lot of near misses lately but uh, we won't talk too much about those what i will talk is about a not a near miss but a, an absolute hit with the internet um because you know things get lost in translation. That happens. And as reporters, we often use Google Translate when we're researching our stories and trying to find stuff from publications from other countries. It always risks that something won't exactly translate quite perfectly. But at least we're not preparing printed menus for an airline. (laughs) Well, China Go Eastern on, Airlines. <laughs> China Eastern Airlines fell foul of a less than optimal translation recently when one of its passengers spotted an unusual item on the starter menu for their flight. On the menu, and a photo was shared online to prove this. It was listed as imported dog food with okra, which sounds delightful, I have to say. Um, restaurants in China have been known for their interesting English translations. Um, I've seen people sharing things with food described as roasted husband and uh, human skin, amongst other things. Um, It's not clear exactly what the imported dog food dish was. uh, But people have posted images on social media of that food when they've ordered it. And it looks like some quite nice looking meat served on a bed of vegetables. But who knows? Um, China Eastern Airlines are notoriously difficult to contact as Western reporters. So we did try and ask them, but they haven't got back to us. Um, On the same menu, though, there was another menu option that caught social media's attention, which was the dragon bone soup. Um, Contrary to what the name might suggest, there aren't any dragons in it at all. It's a a traditional soup made with pork or chicken keel bones. Um, But I kind of got interested in this whole topic and started looking at how airlines have been caught out with bad translation in the past. So China Southern once offered a snack package, you know, one of those just kind of, as you start the flight, you get a little pack of nuts or something. And it was labelled as airline pulp, (laughs) which just sounds lovely. Um, Air China (coughs) distributed moist towelettes with the English label on top that read wet turban needless wash. (laughs) And it's not only Chinese airlines that struggle with their translations either. It can happen to the best of us. Braniff Airlines back in the 1990s wanted to, to, to promote its new all leather first class seats in the Mexican market. It looked launched a campaign it called Fly in Leather. Unfortunately, when you translate that to Spanish, it becomes Vuela en Cuero. And when you say en Cuero, it sounds exactly like en Cuero when pronounced, um, which means naked, which transformed the campaign into Fly Naked. <laughs>
0: I mean, we've seen some passengers do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'd want to sit on a leather seat naked. I find them a bit kind of sticky, but, you know, <laughs> each to their own. Um, there was a French passenger on an Air Lingus flight who was sent into a a bit of a panic. Um, there was an English translation played over the loudspeaker, which said, we're entering some turbulence, you know, please return to your seats, quite a normal occurrence. Unfortunately, when they played the French, tra- French translation, they accidentally played one that said, the plane is about to crash. <laughs> This is an emergency. The plane is ditching. (laughs) Brace, 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 that sort of thing. Poor lady. She must have been terrified. And a final one, which is to do with Rolls-Royce. So it kind of links to my previous story, but it's not exactly aviation. You know the little mascot on the front of their cars, which is uh, called the Silver Shadow? Well, it was originally going to be called Silver Mist, um, which is quite nice, quite ethereal, I think. Um, But unfortunately, in German, the word mist means manure or C-R-A-P. <laughs> luckily somebody at rolls royce's headquarters spotted that problem at the last minute and the name was changed forever to silver shadow so i thought that was quite a nice one where they avoided the complete blunder
0: <laughs> oh you had to tell me this uh, like 10 days before i'm flying with china eastern but um i think that was the business class menu so maybe in the the economy class we'll get some cat food
1: <laughs> it certainly won't be imported dog food it'll be domestic dog food at best yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Well, I think it thankfully gets catered in Frankfurt, so with uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. But um, I wanted to wrap up briefly, very quickly, by talking about my wonderful experience with Fly Dubai, because they very kindly flew me out to the Dubai Air Show and back a couple of weeks ago. And uh, very kindly, they put me in business class. With They have a wonderful throne seat in business class. So in case you're not sure what the phone seat is, it's um, you know, if you've got a business class that's got a 2-2 configuration, then behind it you'll have a 1-1, which kind of fits in between the two seats. So, your feet will go into the table between the two seats in front of you, and then um, the two seats behind you, their feet go in your tables. Um, it's hard to describe. But you end but up with double
1: tables, don't you? It's like you've got two consoles, one either side. Yeah,
0: it's, it's wonderful. You feel... Well, that's why it's the throne seat, because you feel like <laughs> a king with all of this space. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I really loved it. Um, the, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I could probably talk for two hours on this. But, you know, both ways. One thing that really struck me is that Fly Dubai, it's a triple. It's a 737, so like three, four crew. I think there are four crew on both of our flights. Um, but one member of crew, even, you know, if there's only one passenger in business class, there's one member of crew whose sole job it is to look after business class. So on the way out, there were only six of us. And the lady, I think it, her name was Anne, took such good care of us, you know, just constantly checking in. Do you need anything else? But not in an, annoy- an annoying way, because I've had that before where they won't leave you alone. And uh, But this was very respectful, you know, like just maybe once an hour or so, like, can I get you another drink? Do you want a snack? Um, the food was... There, okay. The segue. The food was a bit hit and miss. You know, on the way out, I had chicken pancakes. They were to die for. Mm. Um, but Definitely. then on the way back, it was breakfast time, so I had a uh, frittata, mm. uh, which was like a. It was basically it. The way I describe it is like a block of egg, yes. like, kind of like jelly, an egg uh, with potato and spinach in. And, you know, I really didn't enjoy that. I didn't want to waste it. So I, did, I felt like I really had to force it down, though. It came with <laughs> chicken sausages, which were decent, and mushrooms, which were lovely, uh, and a nice bowl of fruit. But the, the frittata itself was not really anything to write home about. But, you know, I sent pictures of the footwell to Joe and she's like, no, there's no way you're going to sleep comfortably on there because uh, it, it looks a bit like a coffin, you know, like only the bit where your feet and legs go.
1: It looks so narrow. I was like, you look like you're in a plastic box there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you need to get comfortable. But once you get comfortable, you can sleep because mm. on the flight back, you know, even though it was a morning flight, you know, it took off at 10 a.m. or so um but my eyes were so heavy and I ordered my breakfast and before it even came I'd fallen asleep so they had to wake me up to eat this um but as soon as that was done you know I was straight put the seat into flatbed mode and I slept until 10 minutes before landing they woke me up and they were like you need to get up now because you need to put your window shades up sit up put your three-point harness on everything so um but you know that's when you know you need a sleep um But you know, all in all, it was a really nice flight. And I was saying this. I know um, the the flight was uh, provided very kindly by Fly Dubai, but I've also flown Emirates business where Amadeus has paid for it. So you know, the the comparison is two flights that were very kindly provided by other companies. But you know, if I had the choice, I would always pick Fly Dubai business over Emirates business, and. The main reason mm. I give for this is like the front seat is nice, and obviously, if you're on the triple seven with Emirates, you've not got direct dial access. Um, mm. You've I don't I, I don't even think some of the seats are life flat, but it was just the level of service and the quietness of the cabin because these big 40 seat business cabins there's always something happening um yeah the, the, the there was stuff happening in this smaller cabin but you know with six passengers you know it's not always someone getting up to the loo or so and so you know mm. and it was just so much calmer and you really noticed the serve the level of service so you know i genuinely How if many i was people given the could choice there be? so you can have a maximum of 10
1: oh, okay that's a really small business cabin
0: 10, yeah, it's two 221122, uh, two, two, one, one, two, two. Nice. and it was full on the way back, but even then, you know, it was not horrific. Mm. So, you know, I would I would pick them out if I was given the choice. <laughs> I'd
1: love to go. I'd love to have a go on Fly Dubai. They seem like such a forward-thinking airline, and with their Dreamliners mm. coming now as well, which is so exciting, maybe they'll be, uh, you know, reaching more destinations in the future.
0: It wouldn't surprise me if the 787 goes into uh, Stansted at some point. And now with Ryanair flying from Cornwall to Stansted, you're golden.
1: <laughs> Low-cost flights all the way to Dubai. <laughs> but I think we've just got to applaud these, lo- these uh, airlines that are putting the live flat seats on the narrow-body aircraft. I mean, this was unheard of five years hmm. ago. And now there's multiple airlines doing it. But Fly Dubai was one of the first. And they've got a great product on board. So thanks for sharing your experience with us there.
0: Yeah. I mean even before I got on this flight I would have been the first person to sort of be bad about the idea of life uh, of sort of life flat business on an arrow body and this sort of long haul thing but having experienced it wow if you haven't experienced it go and experience it because it changes your outlook on flying
1: <laughs> I'll take that recommendation and if you're looking for a Christmas present you know I haven't tried JetBlue's new mint suite yet so save up your hair Miles Tom
0: <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't
1: <laughs> anyway I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast we hope you enjoyed it and as usual welcome your feedback at editorial at simpleflying.com
0: for more great content you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
1: If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye.